0: Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly Writers Club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the Classes tab.
1: Hey, listeners, this is Andrea Askowitz, producer of Writing Class Radio. Before we get started, I'm here because we need you. We need money. This is our 36th episode, and it ain't free to produce. Here's how you can help. Go to our website and click on the Support Us button. Any amount will keep us going. We would really appreciate it. And we'll love your guts. Okay, here's our episode.
0: This is Writing Class Radio. On this podcast, you'll hear true personal stories from the students in our class and a little bit about how to write your own stories. I'm Allison Langer, a student in the class.
1: I'm Andrea Askowitz, the teacher of the class. Together, we produced this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. We decided to put this episode together right after Hurricane Irma blew through South Florida. It's exciting for a lot of reasons. One, because we survived. Also, this episode is a collaboration with the Miami Foundation's My Miami Story campaign. This year, we're pretty sure many people will be talking about Hurricane Irma. The idea is that sharing stories helps people understand each other, and understanding each other helps people help each other. To us at Writing Class Radio, this makes total sense. It sounds a lot like our motto, which is, the best way to understand ourselves and each other is by writing and sharing our stories. On this episode, you'll hear from students in our class and some of our listeners who responded to the prompt, a hurricane's coming, stay or go.
0: This hurricane madness started over a week before the actual storm. Remember when I told you I was going to go to um, get gas after like midnight because I didn't want to wait in those lines?
1: You remember that? And at that point, I was like, why? I know. Because it was like still Monday or Tuesday and the hurricane wasn't even coming till Sunday.
0: I got up at midnight and all the gas stations were um, sold out. There are bags over the, the handles so you couldn't pump
1: gas, there's empty. Okay, I grew up in Miami, and so did you. Have, do you ever remember this type of hurricane hype? Never. I don't either. Never. I really don't. Well, I think it was the biggest hurricane coming out of the Atlantic, and it was three times bigger than Hurricane Andrew, which was the last hurricane I experienced 25 years ago that knocked the fucking shit out of South Florida and scared the hell out of me forever. And every time I see lightning now, and I am not exaggerating— I get post-traumatic stress disorder. And I think that was another reason this hurricane caused such anxiety, so much craziness, because those people who were here during Andrew were all going through it. My sister-in-law, like, we were on the phone back and forth, like, ah! where's the cone? Remember that? We yes. talked about that. The, you call, What'd you call it? The cone, the of, cone
0: of uncertainty. Oh, I didn't call it that. That's what it's called. That's
1: what it's called? Yes, because the they, they, doom.
0: They, they're not sure exactly the, the path, so it's their projected path, and it could go either way in that cone. Okay, so we have three different perspectives here right now in the studio. I decided to stay for various reasons that you will hear and we've discussed. And then Andrea decided to leave, and you'll hear her story. Um, but Virginia's our audio producer. Virginia stayed and went to an evacuation shelter. W- what was that like? Um, okay,
2: so my I live in an apartment with my family, and we were not exactly in an evacuation zone, but we were pretty close. We were kind of thinking, okay, so like we're not being asked to leave today, but maybe tomorrow. How long are we going to wait? And then what happens if we're called? And the shelters are full. Exactly. And the shelters are full. So there actually was a shelter that was down the street from my house. Immediately just walking in, I felt completely secure. It was such a massive building. So what did you bring? Okay. This particular shelter did not provide cots. And so they asked people to bring bedding and whatever they might need to make themselves comfortable there were people there with beach gear which I thought was really smart you probably already have that at home if you need to evacuate in a rush just bring in the beach chairs and like use them people were using them to sleep on I mean some people also brought huge air mattresses and all these other Did you things sleep on the floor with we them? basically slept on the floor but we had every single sofa cushion and pillows and all these comforters so we were fine A little achy by the third day but we were fine
1: I felt like everybody this is my this was my post experience that every single person in that I knew in South Florida who experienced the cone it was the same as like every single person had just gone through childbirth and everyone was dying to tell their birth story Which is why I was dying to get to writing class. I had the burning desire to talk about my experience and to hear everyone else's experience in class. I really felt like this kumbaya community feeling, and I couldn't wait to write and talk about it. It did bring up
2: a feeling of community for everyone, I think.
1: Well,
0: actually, yes, it brings up community, yes. But every single person I've ever met in my 49 years of life were texting me and Facebooking me and calling me. Everyone wanted to know if I was okay, and you know what? I wasn't. So I was dreading class because I was like, if I have to tell this story one more time, I, I don't think I can do it.
1: I couldn't wait to get to class, but I had to wait. We recorded the University of Miami, and the campus was closed for like two weeks. In the meantime, I went to High Holy Day services. I have a confession. I'm not a huge synagogue goer. But in the days after the hurricane, I felt I needed someone to help me make sense of what had just happened. Rabbi Eklepi did. In her sermon, she talked about our collective discomfort. She also talked about her father-in-law, who was totally nonchalant during the hurricane, and who in the middle of the storm revealed stories about his traumatic past that he'd never told before. Then she talked about how the stories we tell ourselves shape who we are and who we become. I was so moved by the sermon that I went back a few days later with my recorder. We are at Beth Am. Beth Am is what, like the biggest synagogue in the world?
3: It's pretty big. Maybe the largest in Florida or close to the largest. So how many people came to the Rosh
1: Hashanah service and heard your sermon?
3: Probably around eight or 900 people.
1: I asked Rabbi Eklepi how she prepares for a sermon. A sermon is essentially a really good story. And how did she prepare for this sermon that she gave on one of the holiest days of the year, only days after Hurricane Irma?
3: I think that rabbis and probably other clergy people who write sermons, whenever they're faced with that task, they go around their day thinking, is there a sermon in here? I read anything and everything. I will read things that are popular about personal growth. I'll read things that are popular about business philosophy and practice. I will try to read things that are um, very traditional and philosophical in in terms of Jewish text, core liturgy and core stories of the holidays, and um, try to synthesize all of that together to write a sermon that's relevant and resonates for people. I'm one of those people that is a late writer, lots of cultivation, and writing very close to the last minute because I really want to feel the vibe of the community at the time. So what I do is I sit down and think and sometimes even ask people, what's important for you to hear this year? She said coming out of the disruption of Irma, the vibe was
1: pretty clear, and that she hasn't felt this type of shared experience since 9-11.
3: The community was physically all over the place, emotionally all over the place, um, still very frustrated, not having power, um, kids not being in school, workplaces disrupted. That was clearly a goal of mine was to try to regroup and let everybody take a community uh, breath and do a, a sort of check-in for the congregation. Look, we're all here. We've had a difficult time, but we're really okay. In her sermon, Rabbi
1: Eklepi talked about her father-in-law, who was nine years old, when his family had to pack all their belongings and flee their hometown in Romania. They were stuffed into a cattle car for 16 days and taken to Siberia. It was during Hurricane Irma that he
3: told these stories for the first time. Sitting in the dark, what came to his mind were stories of the past when he was really frightened. He was describing the train, and there was a hole in the middle of the floor, and that was the bathroom, and when people would have to go to the bathroom, uh, other people would stand there, uh, hold up a blanket, and so they would have some some privacy. Uh, They brought their food with them, and somehow um, they survived that, although not everybody survived. whether he told me these stories because he was frightened at this time and wanted to make sure that before he died we heard these stories or whether he was just saying you know what this is really not that anything um, because listen to what I went through in the past whatever the motivation was he shared interesting stories about survival and the way people think and the quick decisions that people have to make when they run from place to place I certainly in no way wanted to trivialize um, what we went through here, which was uncomfortable and disruptive, but certainly not terrible. And at the same time, when you hear other stories of survival, it gives you some perspective.
1: Perspective is important given the damage Irma caused in the Virgin Islands, Cuba, the Florida Keys, and the Gulf Coast and the complete destruction Hurricane Maria caused in Puerto Rico a few days later. Sitting in synagogue with the congregation, listening to Rabbi Eklepi, made me feel like I'd survive something big with my community. The stories we tell ourselves and each other can help us survive.
3: Our history of a people who had to move from place to place and how to make decisions and how to survive, that is our shared experience. And I wanted to give a voice to that shared experience. Part of going forward for a new year and understanding um, what we want to change is understanding the stories we tell about ourselves now.
1: As Rabbi Aklepi said, Jews have been telling stories from the beginning of time. And it's helped them survive. All people do it. Which is exactly why I couldn't wait to get together with my people, our class, and tell our stories. What you're about to hear is the unedited, raw emotion that came out of our class on our first day back after Irma. First up is student Karen Collazo. She wrote this in response to the prompt, A Hurricane's Coming. Stay or go. I'm a big fan of leaving. You dropped the ball on a big important assignment at
4: work that caused damage to your once flawless record? Just get a new job. Said something cringeworthy on a first date and you don't think you can recover from it? Don't call him back. Move to a new city, change your hair, sell all your things. Leaving is always the easiest of the two. Well, it's easy when you have the means. This was my MO in my 20s. Now I don't have that option. When it was obvious that Irma was coming for us, I would have loved to have been able to jump on that first flight to Johannesburg to escape the third world conditions post hurricane Irma with a girls weekend getaway. Instead, I stood in line for eight hours to buy five pieces of four by eight plywood. I spent another two hours in line hoping to find sturdy nails, four hours waiting for gas, and countless hours searching for non-perishable food items. We never did locate a battery powered radio. I stuck it out because my sister and I thought it was more economical. These days, I'm adulting like never before, making deci- decisions to stay, not move, hold out, but only because of money. Instead of leaving, I endured hot nights with no power, and my sister and I at each other's throats, and a very weird sunburn from standing outside of my apartment building, boarding up our three very large windows and sliding glass door. It took us an entire day. I'm not a better person for it. I'm actually still pretty pissed. The thing about staying is that when things don't go your way, You really are stuck facing your weaknesses, and what else can you do but try to address them? And when you don't have the energy to address them, what then? You can't ignore all that anger that is festering in your gut if you don't have the ability to escape your inner torment by binge-watching Netflix. Nothing hurts more than not being able to leave your inner world. Without electricity and the comforts that I've grown to depend on to calm my inner kingdom, life was total shit. I need distractions in my life or I will die. I know this sounds like something a privileged teenage girl would say, but it's the honest truth for this 36-year-old. Without any entertainment available to capture my attention, I'm left obsessing over all my shit. And my shit is not just your run-of-the-mill, middle-class, increasing debt and decreasing credit score, or hateful micromanaging and overbearing boss, or even lackluster love life. It's all these things, and more. The death of two parents, mental health issues on an HMO, struggles with on-again, off-again drug addiction, loss of countless supposed friends, rejection after rejection, weight gain, and tons of confusion. Most people agree that this is a lot of shit to deal with. And because it's so overwhelming, I avoid it by playing around on the Amazon app for just a few hours. I put things in my cart, and then suddenly I'm being interrogated by a slut-shaming doctor at Hylia Hospital. So then I empty the cart and put those things in a safe for later. And then I hear my New Direction Rehab bunkmate say, don't you ever do that again, bunkie, when she hears about my suicide attempt. So then I empty the cart and start all over again.
1: was a stunning first draft. Karen couldn't leave because she couldn't afford it. Then there's a twist, and the story becomes about how she tries to escape, leave, life in general. Karen's really good at making connections. She takes the hurricane and makes it a story about her personal struggle. Misha Burrell is next. He's one of our students. He begins his story with Maya, his girlfriend from St. Paul, Minnesota, who's never lived through a hurricane.
5: So Maya continued to share with me all the horrible things a hurricane can do. Flooding, tearing off roofs, it can spawn tornadoes. There's the storm surge, it could just pummel shit. The more I listened to her share her panicked research, the more I started to wonder um, why I hadn't thought about any of this shit before. I've lived in Miami most of my life and never once actually worried. But now I was starting to get a little scared. My parents, who live here, booked tickets to go to New York for Friday morning, about two days before the storm was supposed to hit us. I was so relieved they had because my dad needs access to the hospital once a week for cancer treatment, a recent and big blow to our family and something we're just, only just starting to barely become accustomed to. There's a hospital in New York which he's frequented since his diagnosis in March. He's fighting for his life, and the thought that any of this fucky hurricane shit can fuck with his treatment was really starting to scare me. As the week progressed, and it seemed more and more likely that the storm was coming to us, I was relieved to know he'd be out of here. As Maya piled on the terrifying possibilities, I was eased to know he'd be out of here. Each morning, I'd wake up to CNN updates. Tuesday, it's coming to Miami. Wednesday, it's really coming to Miami. Thursday, it's coming to Miami, and everybody who stays in Miami will die. I started hearing about flights being canceled. A friend of mine, Pablo, had a flight Thursday to New York, like my folks, to LaGuardia, like my parents. And it was canceled. I started to freak out. Um, By Wednesday night, I was already having nightmares. Our house, so close to the water in a fucking flood zone, is filled with a rush of seawater. Fish flying through our shattered windows and tearing through the kitchen. I'm swimming to our garage to get the kayak to rescue everyone, but there's not enough room, so I go back to the garage to get the windsurf. And then I remember all the cockroaches that live in the garage, and I start feeling so sick. And then I woke up and I looked at Maya and said, we should move the kayak into the living room and the windsurf into the kitchen.
1: This narrator brings up his father's cancer, which both raises the stakes and gives us some perspective, like the rabbi said. I love Misha's style. There's something just so
0: cut and dry about it. It's like not emotional. He just sort of gets to the point. We feel it. But he doesn't bang us over the head with it. Next up, Andrea Askowitz.
1: I don't think I'd ever been so scared. I was more afraid the nights before Irma than I was the night of the election. Tuesday night, lying in bed, I asked Vicky to see what was available. There was a flight to Denver for $144. Denver felt too far. Maybe Tennessee, I said. Vicky said, don't make me go to Tennessee. We were still thinking vacation. But while I dawdled and got greedy, Denver was taken. No flights to Denver on any airline. What about New York? Nothing out of Miami. On Wednesday, I worked as usual. I didn't fill my tank after driving carpool. I was down half a tank. There was no line at the shell, but I thought, later. Thursday, the storm's coming right at us. Friends are leaving. Cars were abandoned. No gas. Kids out of school. I asked Vicky to check flights again. $1,000 to Bogota. Yes, let's go. She said it was too much. She said without saying that I was a spoiled prima donna. $4,000 $4,000 is worth it, I said. I felt like a spoiled prima donna. I didn't like myself. I organized our water, batteries, cans, fudge-striped cookies, bagged the photo albums. At midnight, I told Vicky I wanted to leave. This was the biggest storm ever. This storm outsized Andrew by 300%. Vicky wasn't here for Andrew. She didn't know. She couldn't. Breathe, she said. Ha, 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 ha. That's like yelling, Relax! I went to the bathroom six times that night. I woke Vicky at 2. Maybe we should leave. I don't remember shaking, but Vicki said I was shaking. She said I was in a fetal position. She said my hands were clammy. She said in 10 years, she's never seen me so scared. Let's decide in the morning, she said. I had been imagining the heat. I think I had a hot flash, maybe, or a panic attack. But I'm 49, so a hot flash is possible. Never had one before, but with the air blasting, I felt hot from the inside. So hot. At five, I woke her again. Maybe we should leave. At six, I got a text from Alex Moskowitz. He's a dad at my kid's school. What are you doing? He said. Don't know, I said. He said, leave. Vicky, let's go. I threw clothes in a suitcase. I ran to pack the car. Back and forth in the dark. We woke the kids and were on the road before seven. Maybe that was it. I wanted to do something, anything, even if it was stupid, rather than wait to
4: die.
0: What I love about this story is that we get this narrator's personality She wants to be in control, but she also doesn't want to be the person who makes the wrong decision. I made the decision to stay. I'd been through hurricanes before, and I was prepared, and I felt like I was in control. Up next is the story I wrote. We had two prompts in class that day. This is my response to the prompt fear. The hurricane didn't scare me, although I made sure to pack all our passports, birth certificates and insurance policies in a Ziploc. I packed my jewelry in a waterproof bag and I included a change of clothes in case the roof blew off and we had to run into a safe space. I also backed up my hard drive and left it at my dad's house with a change of clothes for all of us, blow up beds and comfy blankets. The hurricane didn't scare me until my dad broke his hip, pulling fallen branches from the street. I always heard a broken hip is a game changer for older people but it wasn't really until I walked into his hospital room post-surgery that I considered my dad might die. He was pale and weak, and his creatin levels were high. His girlfriend said she saw a spot on the ultrasound. I thought, oh, now she's a radiologist. But that night, I didn't sleep. Life without my dad rolled through my head like a movie on replay. The saying, most of the things we worry about never happen, also replayed in my head as I pushed out the thoughts I wanted to avoid. I devised a plan for the next day. I walked in the hospital with grape juice, my dad's favorite. I brought mineral powder to flavor his water. My dad doesn't drink water. He needs juice. I also asked the nurse why the IV cord was dangling from the bed instead of depositing fluid into his body. Can you give him a shower, please? He still has dirt all over his legs and he smells, please. He's a man who showers twice a day. Then I called a rehab facility and got him out of the hospital, still unshowered. I get scared watching my dad fight to lift his leg off the bed just to get to the toilet. Before he fell, he was strong. He played golf every day, took my kids out for lunch, rode a bike. 80 looks old from the recliner next to his hospital bed or from behind his wheelchair. My kids fight over who gets to push him to whip and dip. They are excited that he's coming to live with us. Sloan, my seven-year-old, said this afternoon, Mommy, Grandpa will be so much happier here. He can help me with my homework, and you can cook good food for him. Blake said, Is Grandpa going to make us watch Fox News and golf 24-7? <laughs> Jackson, my 12-year-old, and my dad's golfing partner, was so sad he couldn't visit his grandpa tonight. He called from the car on the, on the way home from his golf tournament with play-by-play of every hole. <laughs> "'Grandpa, I shot three under par. I was the best one today.'" And I turned my head to face the window and cried.
1: I know how hard it was for Allison to write this story. Her dad was still at the rehab facility. It's so hard to write in the middle of a situation. We always need distance to make meaning of the story. This could be a story about how we don't have control over everything. It's also a story about how the storm isn't over when it's over. Before we get to our listener's
0: story, a word from our sponsor. We're back. In preparing this episode, we put a call out to you, our listeners. We asked you for your hurricane stories, and thanks for your responses. They were awesome. We got stories about other hurricanes, not just Irma. But we're a little preoccupied with this one at the moment, so we want to share one from our listener, Valerie Vargas. Valerie wrote about what it was like at 24 to make a decision for her entire family. Here's Valerie. I wanted
6: to stay. It was the only option that really made sense. This is my home, and no threat would tear me away. My grandmother was watching the news late one night, and she called me to her bedroom. She looked at me and said, I'm afraid, should we leave? I sat and watched the news with her. The weathermen said it's still too soon to tell what would happen. The hurricane's projected path was scattered all over the state. Every day after this moment was the same, we would wake up, check the weather update internally freak out at the seemingly hopelessness of the situation. We would go out to gather supplies. My grandmother had been through many hurricanes. She was there for Andrew, except I do remember they evacuated north. I wasn't born yet. This knowledge was passed down to me every single time a hurricane would threaten Florida. We have to leave now. The thought was a blaring siren in my mind. I drove to my friend's house. And she was seemingly calm about it, although I knew every one of us were terrified. We began hashing out post-apocalyptic survival plans. All of us were in the same sinking boat. Should we stay or should we go? It was Friday. Irma was coming on Sunday. The panic really set in. I remember it was so calm that day. I kept having waking nightmares of the last hurricane we survived. Wilma was a category three when she made landfall in the continental United States. The difference was I was too young to have to make any decisions for my family. My household was larger, my mom was there, my grandmother was younger, my brother and my great grandmother were also there. I was the youngest and in charge of keeping the flashlights. We gathered in the center of the house, the living and dining room areas. The ceilings and walls of our bedrooms were moaning in agony. We pushed furniture around, backs facing the vulnerable windows in the center of the house. All of us sat together in a circle. Silence was impossible, with Wilma roaring and wailing outside the only walls that protected us. We distracted one another through short conversation, and it came in an instant. The exact moment was blurred between blackout fear and survival instinct. The front double doors burst wide open. Water, wind, and debris had broken and entered into our sanctuary. My mother and my grandmother were forcing the door shut with all their strength, My great grandmother began praying to La Virgen. We have to leave now. I kept visualizing us flooding and having to swim with my grandmother attached to my back to safety. I had to make this decision this time, and I didn't know what to do. 23 and the only capable driver, I had to keep my mind on the greater good of us all. We were about an hour and a half north, and I began to cry.
1: Thank you, Valerie, for sharing that story with us. Our last story is by Carol Coombs. You'll hear her adorable British accent. She was so scared. Poor thing. I hear you, Carol. I was scared too.
7: I've never packed a suitcase the way I did for Irma. I took my worst beaten up clothes for slumming around and stuffed them into my luggage. I packed sturdy shoes, underwear and socks. I put my passport, social security ID, birth certificate, immigration paperwork and some keepsake photos in a waterproof folder. With suitcase ready, me and my life partner and our 20 pound cat were ready to go to Fort Lauderdale. But our friends sent us a text at 4 a.m. 4 a.m. informing us that they had changed their mind and they were now leaving to Tampa. We were now hysterical. With tears, we scrolled to the next text message from another friend. Come, stay with us in Coral Gables. Coral Gables sounded great, but then we started worrying about all the trees. What happens if a tree falls on the roof or on the car? Our friends agreed we could defer the final decision for another 24 hours. Next, we made a sanity saving pact to not switch on the doomsday news except for the 11pm advisory on Channel 10 where we and now six neighbours from our condo block would soon gather to obsess about the cone and current track of death while drowning a tequila shot. We knew Irma was bad. By now it was Saturday morning and our friends in the gables were anxious to know our final decision. Based on all the disinformation we had there was not going to be the storm surge we had anticipated. The cone was tracking west, and our building manager had just arrived to announce, imagine this in a French accent, I've been sent here to tell you that you are all under a mandatory evacuation, but don't leave. You would be stupid to leave. The walls are made out of concrete. He slammed his hand hard against the walls. City Hall is across the road. The main fire department is in walking distance. And so... Hours before Irma was scheduled to hit Miami Beach, we decided to stay, and then we waited. In the morning, we learn how to slow brew coffee for two hours with cold water in a French press. We take out bicycles, check on the LGBT visitor centre, friends' houses, and apartments to reassure them on Facebook that it's time to come home. That evening, we brought out tiki torches and drank Matitos. That was how we spent Irma at the Fairview in Miami Beach. This is Carol Coombs.
1: That was Carol Coombs reporting from the Fairview on Miami Beach. Thank you so much, Carol, for sending us your story. So, Alison, are you glad we had the class? In retrospect, <laughs> what's that <happening? laughs> mean? Um, uh, retrospect.
0: Um, I'm super depressed for days, but did I feel better? Um, I feel better now. Once I shared the story, once I wrote it and cried and got it out, I was like, "All right, all right, it's time to move on." That's it. So, yes, I guess the class was good. I'm glad we did it. In retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> In retrospect.
1: It's important to share our stories. Like Rabbi Aklepi said, we are shaped by the stories we share. Stories hold us together as a community. They help us make sense of difficult times. They help us survive.
0: Thank you for listening to Our Miami Story. Before we go, I want to tell you about our fall writing contest. The prompt is Secret Pleasure. Check out our website for details. If you want to make writing a daily practice, join our growing community of listeners who respond to our daily prompts and give feedback to each other. Click on our daily prompts also on our website or record what you wrote with the voice memo on your cell phone and email it to us at info at writingclassradio.com.
1: Hey, if you have a business or a startup, let me help you tell that story. I'll come to your office and teach all your employees how to better articulate why they do what they do. Because stories sell. And Allison is up for hire. She'll come to your retreat and help guests write through their shit so they can live free. Writing Class
0: Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Andrea Askwitz, and me, Allison Langer. Theme music by Ari Herstand. Additional music by Kevin Miles Wilson. The Boundary Birds, TJ North, and Pottington Bear. Writing Class Radio is sponsored by and recorded at the University of Miami School of Communication. This episode is sponsored by the Sanibel Island Writers' Conference, November 2nd through the 5th, 2017. Join Andrea and sign up today. There's more writing class on our website, Twitter, and Facebook. Study the stories we study and listen to our craft talks. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Leave.
4: Always leave. Leave. (laughs)
5: it's said that the more time you have to invest the greater the return well guess what kids have the most time if we learn to invest early that's why i created the cash kid podcast where i teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn save and invest their money join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids This podcast will help you become the money expert among your family and friends. Just remember, anyone can be a cash kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast.